0: So some um, of them are, um, I'm going to go quickly through making decisions, you know, decisions know, so which you of these are, are, is an example of, you know, know You've got to read through. Yeah. No. So, so modeling then, um, <clears throat> the idea about modeling, there are two ways that you can model um, a multimedia system. And one is actually to form the design of a system so that you can build systems that are designed to correspond to a model of the person using the system. So that's the first uh, way. And the second way, which is a slightly newer way, an um, area that I some research in, is to build systems that change themselves as the user changes. So they configure themselves based on the user, and then, as the user changes, they adapt, they change. So there's these two views, and so I'll quickly and um, talk about each of them. And then just give you a very brief introduction to agents, which are obviously becoming quite important now in the in the kind of complex systems. <clears throat> so, if you're developing an interactive system, there are some issues. Um, First thing is you need you need to be very clear about who's actually using uh, your system. You have to have a very tight definition of who they are. Remember, we talked we talked about stakeholders of the system um, a few weeks ago. Um, we need to understand what they are doing on the system, what tasks they're performing, and how they relate to design. Um, the other thing is what parts of a user can we actually model and use to understand what the the users are doing and how they're doing it. And then how can you use the model to improve the system? These are the kind of issues that are important. So the idea is that we need a picture of the user. Imagine we, say we're building, a typical thing might be an entertainment system of some sort. So we're building a thing that plays video, DVD, yeah, it's all of these various things. But we know somewhere that there's a user out there. We don't know much about them. And we want to know, first of all, what are they actually going to do? What are the tasks that they're actually going to be doing in this system? Um, and then we want to know what things about the user can we understand and model it in some way. So the thing is, maybe... Um, it might be things like their kind of age group. That might be a thing that we can get information motion about. We can find out something about this. And then we can think, well, we know what they're doing. We know what their age group is. Maybe there's some way we can change the system uh, based on that. Mm. Um, another thing might be how frequent, frequency of use. So in other words, if there are people who use it every day, that would be a different design issue from someone who uses it once a month. Someone who uses a thing frequently, um, you can uh, use that information to, say, have acceleration, accelerated keys, hidden keys, hidden functions. Whereas if someone's using a thing very frequently, you must have... the interface must be... Not to be visible. So the idea is, then, you need to know what tasks they're performing, and you need to know or need to work out what things that you can model when you're when you're uh, developing your system, and then how to use the model. And these are the um, these are some things that we're going to be um, talking about. So I would just to revise this briefly, just about interaction, interactive systems, products that help users achieve their goals. So these are the you think about the two most important things are the users and their goals so these two are related by the tasks that they perform on the system and the idea is about optimising the interaction and achieving that one of the ways that you can do that is by modelling by by having a model of the user that once you know the task will let you um, work out how they can best achieve their goals, whatever those goals are. So, I mean, for example, um, it might be a system, and uh, let's imagine it were a travel agent. Imagine we've got a travel agent system here. So the user now is, um, maybe there might be several age groups. There might be children, there might be young, married couples, old age, patients. It could be several user groups. And they will all have different parts they want to form. But the point is the system then has to be responsive to each of those user groups. The point is you can do it in two ways. You can make it a general system that responds to all of them or you can make the system be different for each group of users. Either way you've got to understand who those users are. You've got to have a model. So what a model is then A model is a way of understanding the user. So it can can be things like characteristics of the user, age, gender. It can be things like preferences. It can be experiences. It can be a whole host of things that will determine how they use your system and how they want the system. Uh, setting up that. So the idea is that you're going to help the users to achieve their goals and you're trying to optimise interaction. So, I mean, if we just take old people, we know that old people have problems maybe with vision. So we can make some assumptions based on that and we can say, well, therefore, if if we've got old people using the system, we need to be careful about things like font size, we need to be careful with things like colour, so that you get sufficient contrast and things like that. So the idea is using the model to actually do something in the the system. And the first rule of this is if you don't use the model, then don't bother with it. You must have that every characteristic, every preference, every experience in your model, you must have some reason for doing it. We'll come come to that in in a second. So the idea is then that this, this approach user modeling uh, is what's referred to as a user-centered approach we talked about this um, in, in the past and the whole point of this and the whole um, you know reason we're doing it is to actually put the focus on the on the user remember going back to, the, to other methods of system development like the waterfall method the users are never involved in this by having user as model the user is involved from day one and that's another important point about user, user modeling. If you build a system that's based on a, your model, your understanding of the user, then the user must be involved in day one, or you can't even start. And that's an important point. And that's one reason why modeling is so important. And the other thing as well is that you must identify usability, user experience, these are the kind of things that help you, um, you know, sort of understand the relationship between the model and the actual product that you produce. So again, one of the things that comes in is usability. There are different usability issues for different groups. One example would be an error message. If you've got one of your um, one of your groups is someone. Um, that are very young, imagine you've got people using the system that are very young, you cannot give them complicated error messages. You have simplify um, the kind of words that you use, the language you use. <laughs> you get the idea that the, the usability uh, is is important and it's different for different classes of users. But again, if you understand the model of the user, then you um, then you can do. it, And also the idea that you, by involving users, that you can iterate, you can go around the, the cycle, the prototyping cycle, and you can test and evaluate and find out for feedback whether the model is appropriate um, or not. So the practical issues, and you need a definition of who the users are. And this is um, a problem and the other thing is, what do we mean by needs? The user has requirements; they have needs. Um, you know what falls into into, into that, and that's. I those are quite uh, complicated. Um, so obviously, the stakeholders. We've, we've talked about these before, but certainly, just um, a bit of revision. This is coming up next uh, next week in the test anyway. So remember, there are three groups of stakeholders. You know, primary. Uh, secondary and professional stakeholders um, and <clears throat> we need to think of people who act directly on the system people who manage direct users people who receive products testers of the system purchasing pro- the whole range of people involved in a multimedia system and they're all users and we should have a model for each set of users, because their requirements, their objectives, will be different. The tasks they perform are different, so if we've got different groups of users and doing different tasks, then we're going to need to understand them, and then we're going to need to build that into our system. But if you think about people who make purchasing decisions, their objective um, include things like making a profit. You see, the task there, for them, is how can we um, be involved in a system that's going to be um, you know, commercially viable. So again, you need to find out what they want. You need to find out what is important about the system in their terms. So you need to specify some kind of a model. For them as well. So... Um, <clears throat> the reason it's called a model is because it's really... A description of the user, and that's what we need. We need some description of the user, if you like, some limited explanation of what the user is that we can. And it comes from from the old days. If you wanted to test a car or something, you would produce some some model, and then you would put wind tunnel and you would do all of this kind of testing on this kind of prototype. Well, you can think of it in the same way that this model we're producing is a prototype of our user, which we can, which you can change as we, as we go along if we like. But the, but the important thing is a model. It's a representation of the, of the actual, um, of the actual user. So just to go over what we said in the past, we've got primary users, and these are probably the very very first ones that are involved in designing uh, the interface. So they may be the first ones. To work out would be who are the primary users and then we need the old occasional indirect users and then finally those affected by the system so maybe you build up your models um, sequentially I mean, if i were starting to design a system i would identify the primary users of the system. um how many user groups do you need for building a system Well, you need one group for each of the main users you can identify on your system. Now, if I were building um, a website for selling CDs, um, maybe I would think of the actual types of music. So I might think, well, there's kind of um, rock, pop, young what I might call young music. And that would define for me a few people that might use that. Then I might think of the 1960s, middle of the road, flat music. And that would define another group of people who would... And then I might think of classical. And then that would define another group of people. Then I'd go to the music shop. And I'd say to ten different music shops, tell me the groups of users that you have that are in and I might learn about another group. There might be something else I don't know. So I might learn about like, psychedelic music. I have no idea. You get the idea, the music shop then tell me. And then I get a description of each of these groups of users. How would I do that? Well maybe I'd go. You walk around the music shop and say, Oh well, what are you listening to? Rock, pop tell me about yourself. And they probably say go away. Eventually you get enough people so that you could build up a profile of each of the groups. So that's the next thing. Your model is a profile of the important things about those users. So you need to know two things. You need to know what's important. And you need to know what groups. And you might find that different things are important to different groups. You get the idea. If, for example, gender might be important. Whether you're a boy or a girl, might be important in rock, pop. Maybe they listen to different artists. Maybe they want a different look to the screen. But it might not be important in classical music. Maybe they'll listen to Beethoven. over and- You get the idea that some features of the profile may be important and may may not be. So the other thing as well is trying to work out what tasks they're doing is much easier than working out what they actually want in the interface. What each group wants, and this is a really a a difficult thing, which um, is generally solved by experience and by surveying getting as much information as you can and talking to the wide group of the stakeholders I mean um, it's okay saying to the users what you want and they say well we want X, Y and Z and yet maybe the people buying the system don't want to put in X, Y they just want to put in Z you get the idea that there's, there's a compromise it might be commercial pressure it might be budgetary pressure there may be all sorts of reasons why it's difficult to know what the needs of a a user are in terms of what you're prepared to to develop. So the idea is that if you can understand the characteristics, trying to understand what they're trying to achieve, and then trying to work out how they could achieve their goals more effectively, you get the bulk of what the user needs are. So Try to work out what each user group's profile is, what their characteristics are, what their capabilities are. <coughs> then try to work out what they're actually doing on the system. And again, you do this by audience survey. The easiest thing in the world is to go around and you know survey people, clipboard, maybe questionnaires, maybe some of the things we talked about last week, some of the evaluation methods um, can be applied into viewing focus groups. Um, and then the idea is whether they could achieve their goals more effectively um, if they were supported differently. So the idea is you maybe have alternative um, designs, etc. So the idea is then how do we generate a user profile? And this is a thing <clears throat> uh, that I would expect anyone who was building a system um, to start off with. So, if we think of 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 the system cycle, and the one that we use always for multimedia, especially on smaller, quick projects, is we start off always with analysis, and then we move around the cycle of design, and then we implement and evaluate. Remember, it's a and then we reanalyze and then we can do more evaluation remember we have, this is called summative evaluation and this is called formative evaluation so in the analysis stage we need to get the requirements of the system what actually is the system <clears throat> going to be Know, they're going to look like, How is it going to be built. And these are going to be user requirements and they're going to be functional requirements. So they're two, two kind of types. This is what, what the system's going to do and this is what, what the user wants. Things like the HCI type um, requirements. And to do that we need to know something about the tasks they're uh, doing and we need to know something about who the user is. And that's when we would have a profile. So if you, if you came to me and you said, here's the system and here are my requirements, I would want to see <clears throat> user requirements, function requirements, and I would definitely want to see the tasks that they're performing, I'd want to see descriptions of who the users are, and the profiles. So it's a formal way of documenting a system. So user profiles are, are generated early on in the system lifecycle. They become part of the system documentation and you can change them as you as you go through um, the system. But you can see here, user profiles should relate to each type of stakeholder in the system. So that's the other thing. When you define the, the users, you must say who they are in terms of their, and often you can call it a user class. So in other words, what type of user are they? And you would need to do a profile for each user. So, example of a user profile then. So certainly the first thing you need is you need to work out what class of user you're describing, and then you need to... For each class of user, you need to think what the characteristics of that user are, and then what the implications of that characteristic are in the design. So for every characteristic you identify, there must, without exception, be a user implication. Otherwise, don't have it in your profile. You get the idea, if it's the same breadwinner, there's no point having it in the... Um, or if it's um, something that you wouldn't um, worry about, then don't put it in the, in the characteristics. So the kind of things that you can put in a characteristic, and the list is very long. You can have hundreds of characteristics in your profile. <coughs> so the role in the organisation, whether you're a data entry operative, a manager, a payroll operative, or whatever, um, it could be age, gender, maybe gender's not important. Something. Work experience, computer experience. Maybe they're novice workers, but they're good on the computer. Maybe they're experienced workers, but they're novice on the computer. You get the idea of these things? Different. What operating systems they have been using? Is it Vista? Is it Windows? Is it Linux? Is it what? know? And this is going to affect the way you build a system. Are there any special features of the... A user or the system that's important for them. Maybe different groups have got different ways of looking at the system. For example, managers might want to back into a system so they can go in. Maybe data operators shouldn't have that. And what type of work is it they're doing? Is it calculations? Is it just entering data? Is it thinking work? Um, how often do they perform on a computer? How long do they perform? every day for five minutes, every day for five hours, once a month for five minutes. You get the idea that these things will affect. Uh, will they be trained? Um, What kind of environment will they be working in? All of these things and more are characteristics that you would put into your model. So, as I said, for each characteristic recorded in the profile, you should list the important implications for example, if users are elderly, what would this imply? As like I said before, you need to think about accessibility. You need to think about experience. You need to think about all of the things that um, you start by making assumptions, and then you would test those assumptions. Maybe you think, well, I'm going to make screens that are, you know, easy to read. So, design some screens. Then you get in some people of that, of that class, that type, and then you would get them to test the screen. And you would ask questions like, is this easy to read? And then once you've done that, then you know that you've satisfied the requirement for that particular class um, of use. If the users are in frequent, again, you need to think about uh, making you know, um, the interface more visible, more Less to memorise, more to see. Um, and if the users use the system for several hours at a time, you would need to think about how that would, um, would relate. You need to think about fatigue. You need to think about, you know, taking a break. Could they, can the system be left? Can it be locked? Can it be uh, returned to the same state? Can you save the state of the system? Whereas if someone just using it for five minutes, you wouldn't need to worry about saving the state of a you get the idea that these um, characteristics have implications in terms of um, usability and, and other, other things you can do as well. This is the way that I recommend you, um, you do your profile research. So you would do one of these for each class, and you would probably have some heading on there saying what the prototype was, and the date, which I just left off. So here I've got a thing called user type, and this is a data entry operator. Characteristic age: 17 to 30. Young persons will be expected to have normal vision and care with long monotonous tasks. So I've made an assumption there that long monotonous tasks are likely to be more boring for young people. And I would have to test this. I couldn't just assume any of this. Gender, six percent female, um, and I'm what I'm assuming doesn't make any difference in my system. So I could remove gender from the model, or I could test that assumption. Maybe there is a difference. <laughs> Work experience, it might be their first job. Cannot assume from familiarity with data input systems. And there are many other things that you would inspire from that as well. I just put one in. But it may be their first job, they might be uncertain. They might need to have things confirmed. It might be they've got to have their work signed off. You get the idea there are many, many issues there that we could put in there. Frequency. At computers several hours at a time. Avoid tedious work. But they will be able to learn to use shortcuts and accelerators. Must make sure screens are efficient and more laid out. Check screen design with you. You can make comments. And again, this list would be long. It would be, I would need to think about all sorts of other um, implications as well. Training would be variety. So it's possible to hire features. No need to make all functions visible. Possible to employ advanced complex features if needed. You get the idea, if you're training users, you can do more things. And this list then, etc. would be long. It would be, for each user, it would need to cover all of the characteristics of the user that relate to the task they're doing so and it's a thing which is done always done badly it's very rarely done well Um, what people want to do they want to sit down and want to hack out a system as quickly as they can and then often they do this sort of thing at the end Whereas it's not the way to do it Um, In your projects, one of the first things you do if you're developing a system is you need to think about doing some analysis of what system you are doing. And this is a good thing to start with, perhaps you can generate some user profiles and think about tasks and things like that. And then move on to design. Quite often people start here, they start designing the system and they just think, oh, I know what I want, or I know what. But you see, this is computer science and in computer science it's not about what you want what you think you need to do things properly you need to document what you do and the user profile is an excellent document Um, it's a way of recording um, your ideas for um, developing um, a system so that's the first view then of Um, user modeling. Now, the second view um, is about knowledge representation. It's about, if you like, um, artificial intelligence and multimedia. This course is not about artificial intelligence, but um, it's becoming increasingly important now in system design. Has anyone seen, seen the film uh, Minority Report? Yeah. Yeah. Great film. A couple of things that are really interesting. One is the actual computers they're using. You know, they've got these kind of virtual 3D computers that are dragging things around them. Which is interesting. That I mean, that's nice. But for me, the most uh, staggering thing <laughs> was when the guy is walking through the shopping mall. And Something that's reading his credit card, and the adverts talk to him. They say, "Hello there, John. You know, blah blah blah. Do you want to um, go on holiday here? I've got some nice offers here that would interest you." And what's going on there is that they have a model of John. So, if you like, there's John, and they've got a model. This model isn't used for system design. They've already got their system. This model is used to differentiate systems for different people. So what they know about John, they know his age. They know his gender. They know his spending habits. They know his social, economic group how much money he's got Mm -hmm. they know his work they know his history of everything they get the idea they've got this model John and based on this model the computer program says I know what I'll offer so if you like there's an interface here and there's a database here of all of the things characteristic of the model and there are the other databases and tables of various things and what happens is that a program churns through this and then makes recommendations for John based on the model. Mm-hmm. So this minority report was set 100 years in the future this is happening now if, you go in, if I go into Amazon it knows quite a lot of this stuff (coughs) and before long it will know more and you can have an agent an agent can wander around finding things from Amazon and taking them to play.com communicating negotiating on my behalf and on its own behalf about the kind of recommendations that are required. So you see that this um, futuristic view is something where um, it's already happening and it's something that you will be building into your own applications. So it's not just about advertising, it can be about all sorts of other things as well. I mean, supposing um, um, I have a language function. Supposing I do translation in my application. <clears throat> it might be that when you start off using it, your language is quite bad. Maybe you've only been you know speaking English for a few weeks. But then as time goes by, the language gets better and then it gets good. And then it gets very good over time. What you don't want is the same help all the way through. We need a lot of help here. So if we have help, we want lots. And here we want none. We want it to change. So it's not just about setting up a system to recommend things. It's about maybe setting up a help system for you. And what happens here is that we have an adaptive system. As the system learns about you, it changes its model of you. Mm. Its model of you says, this person's language is poor. So therefore, simple little um, rule, if language is poor, then help people's loss. Simple code, everyone writes it all the time, if, then, that thing. But then what happens, as the language improves, then the level of help becomes less until we get down to the end and the level of health is none. <coughs> um, another, another way uh, would be, let's imagine a um, thing that we all do all the time we go browsing for films and for CDs and DVDs and things so it can be browsing help so it can work out a history so it can ask you what things you like and then the agent can find you only those things that it thinks are going to be relevant or helpful to you so instead of coming back with a list of everything It will come back with things that you want. So again, it's setting up the system, and it's personalizing, or individualizing, the system based on, what's it based on? It's based on a model of you. So what it does, it gets in its database, A model. A bit like the model for system design. But this one can be very different. Depending on what it's trying to do, it can have things in it like preferences, (coughs) it can have history, and it can have all sorts of psychological things. It can have your personality. The way it talks to you. I don't like People saying, Hey Trev, I'm an older person. You know, I like to t- people to speak to me with some respect. Some people want different. So again, the model would know that about me. It would I would tell it properly. I would say, Don't call me hey Trev. You know, I'm an older person. Speak to me properly. Yeah, I'm using that. It would know the kind of websites I visited. And what it would do is make when well, I did a Google list it would reorder about this. If there were tag fields, it would give me tag fields that were relevant to the things that I wanted. You get these tag, you know, these kind of the tag clouds where you get, you know, words like, you know, I don't know, make up your own list. You get the idea that these could, there's no point giving me tags that are absolutely useless to me. You don't do them. Remove them, put them on to dynamic tagging, <clears throat> based on the model and it can have in it things like um, IQ, language, it can have all sorts of things in it education background, so the question is what do you put in it and how do you use it <clears throat> certainly for multimedia systems all of my final year students build multimedia systems that work like this, that's the thing so they just build a media player, you know, build a media player that knows who the user is and can set itself up for that user. Maybe background, just things like background screen colour, but it can be things like the kind of films, organising the films, organising the DVDs. Um, you know, the kind of websites that are um, you know kind of easy to navigate to create lists and whatever. The um, and also things like language, health, and health systems. All of this personalization um, is the kind the, of the revolution that's happening now um, in, in terms of these kind of systems. See, there uh, are, for example, it's just one example here about participation in a game. So, knowing what someone knows is interesting. If I've got someone who's just starting e-media in year one, my lecture is going to be very different from someone doing a master's degree. You have to start off. So I know something about them. I know their experience. I know I've made an assumption about their level of knowledge, and I've changed what I do based on that. And that's what the system does. It works out something about what the user knows or what their ability is, and it changes the way it helps them, the way it talks to them, um, and there are many other examples of knowledge that can be kept about a user that are um, useful. So, the idea then is the second view of user modelling an attempt to represent and adapt characteristics of human computer interface in order to assist user interaction. That the adaptive bit is two way. So, if you think about it, if we have a system and a model so here's our system and here's our user model now this user model could be based on a person or it could be based on a class like previously thought it could be either now, what can happen is the system gets the view of the model and we get the system becomes adaptive. So we adapt the system based on the model. But what can happen then is as the user interacts with the system, they learn things. So, what can happen is the system can adapt the user model supposing I've got a model that's going to teach someone networking so I start off what does the user know the model's empty there's nothing in it because they've just started day one so what happens the system says this person doesn't know anything and it sets itself up for a novice user what happens then? They do exercise 1, exercise 2, exercise 3. Use a model. So you know, I've done exercise 1, exercise 2, exercise 3. And then the system sets itself up at the start of exercise 4. It assumes then that you know exercise 1, two, 3. And it can then ask you questions that rely on that information. So again, it's a two-way process. Adaptive systems can work in two ways. Generally speaking, they work on a user model. And this model can be about what you know, or about who you are, or what you do. It can be a whole variety of models. So long as they can be used for, I mean, for example, um, a simple one would just be a history of purchasing. That would be a model. And then you could work out what people buy, and then I can make recommendations. If they buy different things, then I change the model. I said, ah, they bought something else this week, so now I've adapted the model. Maybe they've got fed up with something, so i remove it from the model. You get the idea? So the questions then that we need to know is what features of the user are we going to model? The second thing is, once we've worked out what we want to model, whether it's preferences or knowledge or whatever, the second thing is, how do we get this information? Supposing I was going to model language, just say that I thought to myself, well, I'm going to make my system respond to people's different languages. So what would be the way of working that out, what could I do? What would be the simplest thing I could do, Ask, you know, ask? The first thing is I could just ask, I could just say, you know, is this... You know, what level do you want? you want a lot of help or a little bit of help? The second thing I can do is I can test. I can say, you know, answer these questions. The third thing I can do um, is I can sue. I can wander through my documents. I can wander through all sorts of places. I can make assumptions. I can ask other people. I could go and ask your boss what your level of language was like. These are the three main ways that you can do it. The best one is asking and testing. Snooping is done. Amazon does it. When you go into Amazon it works, and it works out what you've been doing and it makes recommendations. It doesn't ask you what you want. It guesses It makes it. I could go into my documents and read all your documents and Classify them and work out what your language level was from that. So these are the three main ways that you do it. And then once you've done it, once we know what we're modeling and why, we know what information we want and we've got it, what do we do with the information? How do we adapt the interface? Um, So what features? So if it it were say that we had tech systems, I might have four different text versions. I might have version 1, version 4. So depending on your language level, I might just give you a different text. I might explain things simply. And then how do you do it? Well, again, what you generally do is you have an engine. You build an engine that does the adapting. (coughs) The idea about the engine is it it works out what the model is and it adapts the system by, and again. it's a set of rules. So it says if level equals six and then it sets up some interface for that. So again these issues are complicated and in truth none of them have really ever been solved adequately. None of these adaptive systems are very clever. At the moment, they, they work more or less um, in the simplest way they can. But in the future, they're going to get more and more clever. But one model that's becoming increasingly used <coughs> is called the student model. And these models are applied to human learning. So let's say every student in uh, this university would have a profile, and it would talk about what they knew in each area, what they covered, what they'd learned, what they were good at, what they were bad at. And maybe when you leave and you go to a different university, you take your model with you. Maybe there would be an agent that would go to another university and say, here's uh, John Smith, and this is their model, and then that university would have the model, and they could then use it. The trouble with these... But the thing is they are incredibly difficult. Learning is understood poorly. No one knows how we learn things. Things are very complicated. You should think about things like computer science, understand that, or server or anything that's difficult. Um, the other thing as well is that they tend to focus on the user, not the task. The important thing when you're learning is what tasks do you get people to do? whereas all these do are more or less tick box things that they... Um, and also it's hard to know. So, the truth is, if you've got any complex domain, any complex area, that are rich in information, and most important things in the world are, if you're working, then what you need is a user model that's equivalent to a student model. These are really um, at early stages of, um, of research. I went to examined yesterday at uh, Manchester University, a student in PhD, and they built a, a student model. It was based on three things only. Just three rules. And it took them nine years to implement them. So you can see how complicated these things are. Um, <clears throat> and one place where they're being used a lot now is the adaptive. And it's done especially with things like, um, you know, tagging, you know, dynamic tagging, and, and, and such things. So the idea is you try to work out what someone's trying to learn, and then you change the links in some way or other. that you can hard program it in or whatever, so that you give them the information that they need in the form that they need. It. And this is this is good. It's great for education, but it's so, so powerful it's good for all other areas as well so student models are types of user models that are uh, much more complex and more difficult to understand so again user modeling center just going over the last thing about preferences so you can move that, even that low, so adaptive models so there are various modeling approaches um, for adaptive modeling. Um, the first one is based on user knowledge, and these are called overlay models. Another modeling approach is to base these things on user goals, what the user's trying to do, based on user experience, user preferences, user background, and user characteristics, user psychology. I talk about a couple of these things. Um, you see, the thing is this. If you know what someone's trying to achieve, then you can set the system up to achieve it or help the person achieve it. So what you do is you work out from your model what the goal is. Maybe in the past their goal was always to do X, Y, Z. You say to the user, are you trying to do X, Y, Z? They say yes, and off you go, and you help them do it. Or... The model guesses and says, this user is trying to do it. What I said. It goes and does it, and then it says, did it work? You get the idea. There are several approaches to it. But The same is true with experience. If people are experienced, you can configure things. Preferences, you can configure the interface. Again, with background. And, but the two really interesting ones are these two, user knowledge and user psychology. So I'll talk a little bit about now. So, an overlay model, um, I won't, I won't um, go into that now, you can read this late, later on. I'll talk about an overlay model now. What an overlay model is, is, if um, you imagine, you are trying to achieve a goal. It could be anything, so we have a goal. And in a student model, it might be to learn something, maybe. That might be the goal. Or it might be to write a report if you're working in a company. Yeah, yeah, you know, it could be a whole host of goals. But the point about this is it requires you to know something to do it. So what we have now is a thing called an expert model. And the expert model knows everything that you need to achieve a goal. It knows every possible thing you want. And then we have the user model. So the user, because it's not an expert, is... Have we got one, two, three, four, five? It may have one, six, seven, but it's got some missing. So what it does, the engine what it does, it makes a comparison between the expert and the user and it says to, to achieve this goal we need to give you numbers 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 so what it does, it adds those to you, it teaches you that then. It doesn't bother teaching you one, six, and seven, because you already know that. So it then gives you these additional ones. So now you know two, three, four, and five. So it then adds them to the model. So now it's new model of view it says you know one. So when the next goal, the next task comes along, it looks at the model for that, and now it's got a different model of view you have so the idea is you've got an expert user what they know to achieve a goal and then you can check what the user knows and so what you've got is a database a database of what the expert should know a database of what you know and the idea is it keeps giving you things until you can achieve the goal, so when you've got all of these things then the idea is you can then achieve the goal And you can then test. You can say, did you achieve the goal? So it makes evaluation quite simple. It's not difficult to evaluate a system like that. So it models performance or knowledge. And then there's some expert delivery model and a comparison model so that you compare one with the other. But this is why it's called an overlay. You overlay the user on top of the expert, and you made a comparison. And the delivery model um, reduces the differences between the two, between the expert and the user. And then, um, so here's, uh, if you like, one view of it. We have an expert model here, um, and there's the user model. It's less. It's smaller, because the, the user doesn't know all of these things. So the if you like, the idea would then be to actually give this information, the information that's required, to the user, and then they could achieve the goal. That's the point. But in real life, it ain't as easy as that. What you get is that users know lots of things, and they know things that the expert doesn't know. Go to any expert, and you'll, you'll know lots more than ever about something. Right? And maybe these things are important things in solving your problem. And also, the expert knows things that you're not interested in at all. And maybe there are some things in the task that you're trying to achieve that neither of you know. In complicated, the world is much more difficult than our simple explanation. So the truth of the matter is that the, it's very difficult to actually reduce the difference to get a real task achieved properly. There are things that the user knows that the expert doesn't know, There are things that the expert knows that the user doesn't want to know. And there are things in the task that neither of them know. So it makes this kind of modeling um, difficult in that respect. And also there are some problems with it. Let's imagine I'm making a little program to tell you about chemistry. And here's a question. How many electrons are there in a sodium ion? So you've been maybe studying, maybe I've given you some multimedia, and I've shown you all about sodium and ions and electrons and things. But maybe the right answer is ten. And maybe you come along and you click, you can either click ten, you know, etc. What happens if you get it right? What happens if you get it wrong? And this is how these models work. It might ask you questions to work out what you know. And then when you get them right, it adds them to the model. If you get them wrong, it teaches you and then adds them to the model when you know the answer. So imagine then that we've got a system, like that, very simple. Supposing then we get the answer correct. It says, Aha! The user knew what the correct answer was. The user understands the problem. No remedial action. Update the user model. So what happens now? Sodium question gets added to our user model. We know about sodium. We can perform any task that's got anything to do with sodium. And then move on to the next question. Move on to the next problem. So that's if you get it right. But what happens then if you get it wrong? Well, the first thing is that you need to correct the problem. You say... This person got the answer wrong. I've got to teach them about sodium again. So you go through some, remove your loop, and you keep reviewing, that's um, all. And you record an error in the model. You say, sodium, problem. <clears throat> so, that, so they can't do things that have got sodium involved. So once you've done the correction, you test them again if they get it right then you update the model and you move on problem (coughs) you must make assumptions about why they got the question wrong in a sodium question supposing I was trying to do some remedial and I said to you how many electrons in a sodium ion, and they get it wrong. Is it because they didn't understand what was meant by how many? Stupid. But they may not have known what electron was. They may not have known what sodium was. They may not have known what iron was. So, so in a complicated question, it's not easy to work out what they didn't know. So you've got to make assumptions that relates their performance to to designing the system to update the model. (laughs) Another thing is if I build a system that works for chemistry, it is not going to work for anything else. It will only work in a very limited area. Understanding from one area does not pass to other areas. It won't work for physics or biology or English. So these are some of the things. Assumptions are difficult. Lots and lots of different solutions to different domains. You can't pass that information onto other domains, other areas. So some of the assumptions the system designer, the expert model always knows best. Performance is the best measure of task achievement. Is that true? Well, not today, so it maybe used to be years ago, but now, task achievement is a very difficult thing to understand. If someone's using your computer system, what they're trying to achieve will be something outside of the system that the computer won't know. For example, you may be trying to enjoy watching a film. Now, there's no way the system knows whether you enjoyed that film or not. It has to ask you um, if Achievement might be something totally different. You might be trying to find a date for the weekend. You get the idea there could be a whole host of things that are not measured by the computer. Um, It adapts a system based on performance, and that can be a problem if it doesn't know whether you've been successful or not. Simple rules are always adequately describe interaction. These things are based on if then type rules, very simple. And the the another assumption is that you can work out what's going on inside people's heads. From what they do. And I can't work out what's going on inside my own head most of the time, let alone if I'm building a system to work out what's going on inside other people's head. It also makes the assumption that all users are the same. That if you have a problem in one user and you take a remedial path, you need to take the same path for the same problem. And a generalization problem. Also. So a lot of these assumptions are very poor assumptions. Um, another method is uh, of modeling, a different method, is a stereotype method, and what you do is you work out, a bit like in the earlier version where we had the system design models, is that you use um, profile of your user, and you work out things based on that, and you can do it by a rule-based system or neural net type system, rule-based ones are very common and very easy. Um, and it's the kind of thing that you get on Amazon where it knows what roughly what your, what your type is and what other things you've done. And then it builds a model of you and then makes recommendations based, based on you. And what the, what's good about it is as this, these models become more powerful, they become very individual. Oh, I think that's phone. I've got a new phone. I can't switch the silent thing off. Over the weekend, and I've got no idea how to do it. So, um, so the idea is um, that you can generate a class of models called psychological model. I just finished modelling, and then I'll do some revision quickly. So the idea is that you, what you try to do with psychological models is you build. a, a classification of people, and you look at things like intelligence, language ability, age, gender, things that don't relate to the actual performance itself, but things that are general about you. That's the idea. And then you use those things to configure the interface. So it's much more general configuration rather than specific. Charlie's psychology is difficult, it's hard to understand psychology, you never know what kind of things to put in your model. Uh, there are so many different things. For example, you could put in age, you could put in gender, you could put in preferences, you could put in personality. You, there are so many things that you can put in. Um, if you put those things in, many of them are difficult to measure. Now, how do you measure intelligence? You don't want to give every one of your users an IQ test. You need ways of working these things out, and then you need to know how to create stereotypes how to map users and um, stereotypes, and then adapting things is difficult as well. As people's skills and personalities and etc. change, how do you measure that and how do you adapt that? Um, and lastly, it's difficult to know if it works. I've been building these models now for 20 years, and I've never got one that I was happy with. I've got lots of them. They all work in some way or other, the truth is that what what it is, what you're trying to achieve with the psychological model, is you're trying to produce a computer that, that behaves like a person when it meets someone. You see, if I meet you, I make assumptions. That I say, ah, we're in a university, um, master's course, um, age group, I don't know, 18 to uh, 22. 35, whatever, I don't know. I make these assumptions, and then I can spend the whole of the next semester talking to you based on those assumptions. And if I'm wrong, I get some feedback and I change some of the things. So that's what this is trying to do. I'm trying to make assumptions about people using my systems, and then I'm trying to have an interaction with them based on those assumptions. And it's very difficult and it's very hard to know if it works. So um, the kind of things we look at, things like language ability, we look at whether people want lots of words or whether they want lots of images, the kind of explanations you give people, a whole host of different ways of presenting information based on different user characteristics. So that's the the idea um, of it. Um, If it doesn't work very well, the simplest thing is to use cooperation or collaboration. So you just say to the user, "Is this fair? Do you understand this? Does this make sense? Do you want me to do it in this way?" And then that way, you can improve the you can improve the, uh, the actual input. So I'm not going to go in. But I'm going to talk a little bit about the revision now. <coughs> but what I think is when you when you build System, you should always use the first type of um, modelling. You should always have a user model that helps you build a system. If anyone is doing a project um, and they want to get involved in something like this, I'll be happy to supervise a project like that. Um, they're very interesting, you don't have to do a big difficult system, you do quite simple things which you can then test to see if it works. But we've had you know, quite a bit of success over many years in this, um, in this area. If anyone is interested in doing some kind of, especially psychological modelling, um, but the idea is you might build a system where a multimedia system, you are trying to set the system up for someone in a certain way. The simple thing might be you've got different languages, different language types, whatever, and you work out uh, what the user wants and you configure the system in that way. A quite, it quite doesn't have to be a very very complicated at all. So there's some more slides here, but I'm not going to go through them. I want to talk about the revision now. Okay. So we've got this test next week. I, I can't remember how many questions it is. I think it's about 50 or 60 questions. <laughs> <coughs> All multiple choice. And they are done, um, I think we're doing them in the LRC. So get there nice and early, and Steve will be there, and I'll be there, and then Steve will tell you exactly how to log on. You have to log on in a certain way. And then what happens is that as soon as you log on, um, the question screen comes up, and when as soon as you start the test, it starts timing. So there's no panic. It just scrolls down, and you read each question. Some have got pictures. Some have got you know, just words. And... Um, you just tick the correct answer. Well, yeah, I hope not the correct answer, anyway. At the end of the test, um, I think you get your score there and then. So, oh. I mean, depending on how to see up, So, um, <laughs> can you skip questions and <laughs> go back to my You can. It just scrolls. So, you can go backwards and forwards and uh, that's it. Uh, you can't look at someone else's, it gives them all your different orders. <laughs> so, and with notice, if you are trying to lead each other's screens and now they're scrolling and you wouldn't wait to see it. <laughs> so, the, 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 the difficulty of the test, there are some questions that are difficult, there are some questions that are easy. Um, I didn't write the questions, I wrote some of them, um, I wrote the easy ones. <laughs> Steve Steve, um, Steve wrote the, uh, the they're all based on um, three areas they're very kind of practical rather than the arts um, but they're based, based mostly on my lectures um, Steve lectures, and they're based on the practical work so my lectures both of the questions are that, and any lectures that Steve has done I think he gave a couple of introduction things, and then based on the flash tutorials in Photoshop work. Um, they won't be from like for, for Photoshop. Sorry? There won't be anything from like Photoshop. it will be general things, I think. Now, Steve told us like, not to study like Photoshop. Well, if Steve said there won't be any, then there won't be any, that's oh, fair so. enough. i am just, um, just write down what I thought. Yeah. But, um, I think on Photoshop it won't say how do you do this, it'll be something more general like about vector graphics or something. Yeah. What about the group assignments? Are going to put us into groups or we get to choose our own groups? Because uh, I think after the test I think to... I think last year we let you choose your own groups. Kind of that can to... be a disaster though. Yeah. Well what happens is that you go in with your mates who are just as bad as you. <laughs> <laughs> what That's you should boring. do is you should try and stand the video and these are very... Simple, basic properties. You should know the difference between um, bitmap, you should know some of the guidelines for using text that we, that we talked about. And you should know a little bit about video and a bit about sound, about some, maybe some of the different formats. And if you look at the lecture notes, then you'll see that they've got of those. So, types of image, the uses of the image, relative file sizes, quality, impression of image know about these things and in so far as they're covered in the lecture notes so if you read the lecture notes make sure you understand them and you get them firmly in your head then these questions are very easy and the same you should know the the, the, difference in sampled sound and other forms of sound you should know the basic properties of WAV you should know the quality issues we talked a bit about sample gap sample frequency you should know about those things and how they affect quality and a little bit about what the MIDI format is no no more than that and how it differs from sample sound again these are not these will not be difficult questions they're memory type questions text uses of text we talked a bit about the ascii system about fonts and a few guidelines for use um, Again, most of this stuff is just simply memory and um, things like that. Um, Digital compression. You should know the difference between lossy and lossless compression of images and videos. You should know some of the benefits and the limitations of both. They've both got benefits, they've both got limitations, and you should know something about them. You should know something about the quality of them as well. About um, you know how they differ. Again, just what's in the lecture. We're not covering any great debt. Um, this stuff now is more difficult. Why is it more difficult? Because it's more to remember, and because you have to maybe apply some of this. So, in the lecture notes, I give you definitions for all of these things. and if I were you I would make sure that you knew them so you should know what familiarity is predictability and generalizability and you should also know how to recognize so if you see something going wrong in the system you should say the problem with that is that it's not predictable you get the idea? Mm. and then you you should be able to work out uh, from that um, you know which one of the so learnability efficiency errors satisfaction Oops, i have to go back um so again simple things learnability is it easy to learn. Is it once learned is it fast to use? Is it easy to remember? So again very simple definitions but you need to know them. And you know i go in there you can forget them five minutes afterwards. But certainly, I would make sure I knew them when I went. You can just look them up. You know, don't, but um, certainly. And the kind of thing might be, and there's a computer system, and when the user does this, then this happens. Which one of these does it violate? You get the idea. And then you say, well, um, it's memorability because I couldn't remember what was on, you know, some such thing like that. Um, and again, there's some definitions there that you can read through. I'm not going to go through them all now, but if I were you, I would. Just the definitions there. And then we talked a bit about accessibility. Um, many users um, operate in different contexts. There are things like perception, uh, reading comprehension, and then the kind of um, kind of problems that um, you know, people have, and... Um, Just make sure you read through your lecture notes on accessibility carefully and you remember the definitions there are several of them these are the ones i think that get tested perceivability authorability navigability understandability robustness these are easy to remember they just are what they say they are Um, so again just make sure that you know them and then go through the lecture note (coughs) And then think about the support. We talked a bit about different support that was available um, in the lecture. Uh, and then there are various things. We'll just have a, have a look through that. But certainly the definitions are going to be um, quite important. And also guidelines and standards. Uh, the, I'm not going to get tested too much on these, but certainly make sure you know a couple of them. I wouldn't um, follow you. <coughs> Um, the third set of lectures the software development life cycle, the waterfall method, prototyping, and the RAG method. There won't be anything on the RAG method, okay? but there will be stuff on the others. So you should know the difference between the waterfall method and prototyping methods, and you should know the life cycle. So there's the kind of waterfall method. You should know the... Um, how those bits fit together, the order that they come in, etc. And you should know this method, the prototyping method, analysis design, you then evaluate the same kind of method used mostly in multimedia systems like that, GAS method. Um, you should know about the prototyping uh, lecture. We talked about that a lot. And um, just the lecture notes with a few of those here. But these are some here um, that I'll explain in the lecture notes. So you must make sure that you know what each of these types of prototypes are. But i warn you, these definitely come up. Some of these definitely come up. So make sure that you do understand them and what they mean, what the definitions of them are, and the differences between them. And a thing I might say to you, um, here's a prototype, i created it, blah blah blah, and it's got these properties, what type of prototype is it? And then you have to pick. You get the idea? So make sure you understand these prototypes um, you know, quite well. Um, the evaluation thing, uh, definitely use of scenarios, goals evaluation, Wilson's heuristic method, cognitive walkthrough, protocol analysis, these will come up. So make sure you understand what they are, what they try to achieve, and what you need in order to do them. So beginning a cognitive walkthrough, what do you need to know? Protocol analysis, what does it tell you what you need to know? And then there's the lecture notes for it. Make sure you understand these expert evaluation, Nielsen's approach. There's Nielsen's guidelines, so make sure you understand um, what these are and uh, the benefits and limitations of Nielsen's methods. And then comedy walkthrough, we talked a bit about that one. Um, where you walk through an application that may or may not exist, um, and you understand the intentions. you predict the intentions of the user and can be used on real or test basis. and can identify only problems in a So the idea is you, you get a system, maybe a paper system, and you walk through it, pretending you're using the system. Um, the idea is you need a task, you've got to describe the task, you've got to understand the goals and the actions. So that's tasks, goals, and actions. You analyze them, and then you work out if it's being done efficiently, if it's being done well. Will the user um, respond in the correct way? Um, And some of the questions about what the user is trying to achieve and the action they take. So again, we went through these last week, so you can go through these again and just make sure you understand what point of walk through. Uh, some advantages, and uh, some disadvantages of it. Again, we went through these. I'm not going to go through them all again now. And then the last method is um, protocol analysis. It's an interview type method where you're trying to understand what's going on in the user's mind. But this is that is with, generally speaking, it's with a real system they're interacting with. I've commonly walked through you as an expert protocol analysis uses a real um, and real use and then different types of <coughs> protocol analysis again, understand the advantages and the disadvantages and information architecture, this year I did this lecture, not, um, not Steve, so um, well, that's still in there, but anyway so again, so make sure you understand about information architecture, what it is, and what the point of um, about findability, how you find information, and how efficiently you do that. Usability. And then there'll be some questions on user modelling, which was today's um, lecture. So I'm not going to talk about that again. And then there'll be some questions about flash, but there'll be some general questions, not specific questions, that relate to image manipulation, types of images in in poetry. (coughs) So is test difficult? Um, Some bits of it are difficult. Some require you to think and analyse. Some bits of it are quite simple. So, you know, I think you should all pass it. I mean, there's no reason why if you do some work, you wouldn't pass it.